No more horses on planes? What about your cats? And what about that Great Dane? New guidelines from the U.S. Department of Transportation put flying with your pet in a tailspin this week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. I need to know everything, who and what and where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George, I hop in the Porsche, five and a horse, I'm ready for war, I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost, I need to know everything. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And once again, we are going to visit one of Becky's favorite topics, and that is traveling with pets. What are the legal ins and outs? What does this newest guidelines proposal actually mean for us as veterinary healthcare providers who are going to be asked a lot of questions about this? But before we get into the latest news, as always, I am one of your hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, you travel a lot. I travel a lot. Many of our listeners travel a lot. And we're sort of used to seeing a lot of pets in airports these days. But if the new U.S. Department of Transportation guidelines that were just proposed last week actually are enacted, that could really change, couldn't it? Yeah, and I, I think everybody knows that some change is needed. Things have gotten a little bit out of hand um, in, in sort of a, the more taking advantage, I guess, of of how we transport our pets across the country and, um, you know, kind of what we're willing to say or do to avoid, I don't know, fees and, and you know, right. packing our pets with cargo. Right, and at the center of this controversy has been the designation of emotional service animals, emotional animals that you take on there to make you feel better, right? I mean, that's that's really the big thing. And according to the latest proposal from the DOT last week, no longer, and I'm reading a direct quote from the proposal, no longer consider an emotional support animal to be a service animal. Becky, you've commented a lot on the podcast and your lectures. You've written a lot about this. Kind of explain the importance of this statement, no longer consider an emotional support animal to be a service animal. What does that mean? So this actually has a lot of significance um, and, and a lot of implication to come. Emotional support animals are, you know, the only classification of animal that kind of gets privilege, right, in some public access spaces. And there's always a lot of confusion around this. So a designated service animal uh, is one that has been trained to perform a specific task to mitigate a disability, a diagnosed disability in a human being. And so um, service animals obviously provide a wide array of really, really necessity for a lot of individuals across the country, and they really are gaining a lot of, uh, you know, popularity and use. Emotional support animals, on the other hand, uh, have not received any type of formalized training, and there is no actual task or response performed by this animal. So they're just present and that helps an individual feel better um, and provides them, quote unquote, emotional support. The only uh, federal organizations that really recognize public access when it comes to emotional support is uh, airlines and housing. So this is where, you know, we get into a lot of space in the veterinary industry where people are asking, um, you know, us for letters that say this animal is a, su a support animal or, you know, a different kind of breed and, and these types of things. Um, but Unfortunately, this has become something a lot of people have be begun to take advantage of, and it's gotten pretty crazy outside of the species, right? So right. we've seen articles about all kinds of animals showing up on planes. Yeah, peacocks and so forth. And one other important 
proposal or change to the current regulations from the DOT last week is that only dogs that, and I'm going to read the, the proposal because I think this is super important for us, define a service animal as a dog that is individually trained to do work or perform tasks for the benefit of a person with a disability. Prior to this, the USDOT and American Disabilities uh, Act had looked at cats and miniature horses along with dogs as service animals. But it looks like, Becky, in terms of flying with your pet, unless it's a dog, it's not going to be counted as a service animal. So, and I think it's important too to distinguish between flying with your pet and flying with your animal that you're designating or calling an emotional support animal. Great, great point. You can absolutely board a plane and fly with your pet. It costs money. Um, and that's where this ab- this abuse has come into play. It costs, for most airlines, somewhere around $125. And the animal has to be small enough to fit in an airline-approved crate that will go underneath the seat in front of you. If you've flown recently, you know that is not a very big crate. Um, And that's not a very big space. And so that's where uh, a lot of the problem has come in because people want their larger dogs in the cabin with them and not underneath in cargo, um, or they don't fit under the seat or they just don't want to pay. Right. And that's a really important distinction because uh, airline carriers such as my beloved Delta uh, a year or two ago enacted rules that they wouldn't fly animals in cargo, especially certain times of the year. Uh, Delta just rolled out also coincidentally last week an amazing new program uh, that they are going to allow you to buy these special GPS tracking little carriers with a built-in water bowl, triple locking door. Uh, It only costs you $850 one way, but they will put your dog in cargo in these specially designed crates uh, for free. They're calling them the care pods or something like that, Becky. But again, uh, Becky's right. What a lot of this sort of controversy stems from is from people trying to get their dog designated as a service animal by lieu of the emotional support animal loophole so they don't have to pay. Okay. Now there's one other interesting change from um, previous. Now there's been a lot of confusion over could the DOT, could airlines like ban specific breeds, ban specific size animals, right? I mean, there's a lot of talk around that. And so Becky kind of outlined that a lot of times it has to fit in a crate, has to fit under your seat. I mean, the kind of traditional rules. But this time, the proposal from the DOT actually says that they are going to limit the size of the dogs. And in fact, it's got to fit in the, and I'm just going to read it once again from the proposal, um, allow airlines to require a service animal to fit within its handler's foot space on the aircraft. That would limit the Great Dane service dogs. Am I right, Becky? It would limit them from flying on planes. Now, I think you also, um, you know, you have to keep in mind, too, you can, uh, in some cases, access and have in bulkhead in the very front row where you have a little bit more room to keep that animal between your legs without having to have a seat in front of you. But you cannot occupy an exit row because if you are traveling with a service dog, you're considered disabled and disabled individuals are not allowed to operate um, the exit row emergency doors. So um, it's really going to make it hard and impossible for, you know, a a lot of these uh, cases. But I I do feel like for the most part, the dogs that are being abused, uh, that are abusing the system, or I should say, well, the people who are abusing (laughs) the system with their dogs, right? Um, Are are generally going to fit in that space. And I have to say, and I feel maybe a little bit bad because I don't want to like people shame here. But I kind of feel like if you're willing to ignore the 
inherent emotional stress that goes along with a dog getting on a plane, going through an airport and having these experiences without any kind of like training and development up up to that point. Um you may not really be that worried about their comfort for that amount of time. Right. And that's really where I think the DOT proposal comes in perfect alignment with the Department of Justice and the Americans with Disabilities Act as far as defining and definitions of service animals, because these are animals. And again, in this context, dogs that are individually trained to do work or perform tasks for the benefit of a person with a disability. And see, this is a huge distinction between just, I need to fly my dog. It makes me feel calm. It makes me feel better. Uh, And one other interesting change uh, is going to be that uh, some people have called them psychiatric service animals. So some people legitimately with panic disorders and other types of, of, of mental illness uh, or conditions, I should say, um, their psychiatrist will prescribe, if you will, a service animal to fly with them. Well, under the proposed guidelines, I'm going to read, consider a psychiatric service animal to be a service animal good, and require the same training and treatment of psychiatric service animals as other service animals. So Becky, once again, they're saying, if you're going to be called a service animal, you're going to have to be individually trained to do work or perform tasks for the benefit of a person with a disability. Yeah. Okay. So a couple things here. Number one, so emotional support animals are not considered service animals. So right. we want to, you know, use the right terminology here so it doesn't get confusing. So, um, well, and Becky, animals- that's that's what you're absolutely right. This is where it got sort of cloudy because previously airlines were left to define that on their own, and so since there was ambiguity, they were saying, "Well, is an emotional service animal?" A service animal. And so they were. These definitions have all been around for really like (laughs) for a long time. They just get used interchangeably. Right. And so and even and even now they're being used interchangeably as we talk about them today. And so when we say emotional support animal, um, this is, again, no formal training at all whatsoever. And so a psychiatric service dog, quote unquote, is there is no such thing as that that has not received formal training. Do you see what I'm saying? Absolutely. So if you're calling, if you're using psychiatric service dog, there is formal training and there is task involved there. You are otherwise an emotional support animal. Now, I do want to say this. It is a, a kind of um, a, a generalizing statement to say that people just want to fly with the animal. It makes them feel better. Some people overlook that some individuals are going to two places that are causing them anxiety or stress, and the animal is there to mitigate that event um, through emotional support. So we want to consider individuals who are maybe going somewhere long-term for cancer treatment. Maybe someone who is going to provide um, some hospice care or is going into hospice care. There are many times and situations where individuals are traveling with the animal because they're going to need that emotional support wherever they end up, right. not just on the plane. Right. And we kind of generalize that in a way that I feel is a little bit unfair for individuals who are properly utilizing the emotional support that having an animal with them provides. And we all know that that's a real thing. We just have to start to put some boundaries around it because what we know is we're all recognizing it more and more, right? And and, and anytime any of us leave our dogs behind at home, we're saying to ourselves, I wish wish you could just go with me. (laughs) We have to remember though, side note, that the dogs, our pets, especially our cats, they don't really always want to be with us. 
Now, the other side of that is these psychiatric service dogs, right? So when you're using this title, psychiatric is at, at that point actually not something that should be being used because um, you're sort of at that point disclosing the person's disability and that's illegal and unfair to them. Yep, so right. if you are being treated for a psychiatric condition, then you just have a circuit service dog and we and we are not to define it. And this is where they're kind of jacking things up a little bit with the, the language that they're using. Wow. And so we need to not say psychiatric because we are not needing to disclose our condition. It is just a service dog. But the, the services that those dogs provide are real. They're in a they're incredibly needed. And for some individuals, um, include things like uh, reducing self-harm situations. So they keep people from actually literally physically cutting themselves in worst case scenarios, burning themselves and things like that to maybe just hitting, slapping, scratching, things like that. They also will provide these individuals physical space in places where they would otherwise possibly be touched by other individuals. And those types of things will keep these people from even leaving their house because they can't avoid it otherwise. Cause you, you know, you can't physically create a barrier. Right. So, um, you know, in, in, in it's, not to get preachy, but it's to be like really clear about where all of this terminology is getting thrown around so quickly and so inappropriately that it's going to end up, I think, causing more confusion and and then more bias. And I'm really worried about that. Well, and that's a really good point. And viewfinders, you probably recall, we've discussed this specifically about, you know, psychiatric service animals, these labels, inducing bias and stigmatism in the public. So if you haven't listened to those podcasts, Becky did a beautiful job of articulating that a few months back. So that's well worth a re-listen if you haven't checked that one out. But I do want to kind of point out two things things. Number one, um, Becky, I do hope it clarifies a little bit because I think that they're very clear in this latest proposal. And and remember now, viewfinders, you have 60 days from last week, uh, and this is airing uh, the week of uh, the end of January 2020. So what is that? The 29th, I think this one aired. We're running out of days. We're running out of days. But uh, we have 60 days to comment. So I'll leave all the links in the show notes. If you're interested in commenting, you have a specific issue you'd like to raise with the DOT. But I do like the fact that they are saying, define a service animal, no longer consider an emotional support animal to be a service animal. I think that will help clarify a little bit because again, this ambiguity from the airline's perspective, they sort of just now said, okay, if you call it an animal, a service animal, we're just going to take your word for it. And that really isn't the same as these specially trained animals. You know, you can't just buy a vest off of Amazon and say, I need this. Yeah. And, and I mean, nor should you. And I guess that's kind of, I said, you know, the part that gets my, my goat the most is that we're not really considering the stress of the impact on the dogs. People are getting hurt, like, right? People are getting bit because these dogs are in a situation they've never been in before. They're cornered. Um, you know, people are, at the end of the day too, you know, we are all animal people. And so like, we totally forget that there is even any kind of other human being in the world. But I can tell you as someone who has moved through life with animal in public space, a lot of people don't like dogs. A lot of people don't like dogs in their space. And um, it's very unnerving for a lot of people. You know, and I would always tell people who didn't really understand that, like, imagine if you had to walk down a grocery aisle to one of your worst fears, be it a snake or a big giant spider or, you know, whatever it is that unnerves you, being forcibly put into that situation is is really kind of unfair too if it's being used inappropriately, which unfortunately I think more times than not right now it is. Well, I love that. Now, there is a provision in this latest proposal Uh, And the actual title of this, if you're looking up, it's called the Noticed of Proposed Rulemaking, the NPRM, and 
government jargonese, uh, on traveling by air with service animals. Okay, so I'll have all the links in the show notes below. But the fourth proposal actually may directly impact us as veterinary professionals. In fact, there's no clarity here yet. And I think this is going to be something that I'll comment on uh, directly with the DOT. And I'm sure lots of others of you will, will join me, but I'll read it. And then you guys can help me out. It says the fourth is allow airlines to require forms developed by DOT attesting to a service animal's good behavior certifying the service animal's good health, and if taking a long flight, attesting that the service animal has the ability to either not relieve itself or can relieve itself in a sanitary manner. Becky, the way I'm interpreting that is these are going to be sort of like health certificates as well as a behavioral statement that I'm guessing a veterinary professional is going to have to sign. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously. And that's, I mean... I, what do you think about that? Like, right. I'm like, wait, what's my liability here? I, I, am I qualified to provide a behavioral assessment of your dog on an airplane after going through an airport? I can tell you, you know, you know, as well as I do, some travel days of ours are six, eight, 10, 12, 17 hours when things start to go awry. I mean, we are really talking about putting dogs in, in various different types of species of animals into situations that are highly unfair when it is not a matter of, you know, the true mitigation of a disability for an individual that is life saving. I think that that provision, that proposal about this form, good behavior, good health, and the ability to either not relieve itself on a flight or relieve itself in a sanitary manner. To me, of all the things that I saw proposed, that one is the most problematic. Now, that's, of course, because we're the closest viewfinders. We're the closest, I think, to this particular proposal. I mean, this one, I think, is going to impact us. But again, what I didn't like, Becky, is there was no backgrounder. There was no clarification. There was no extended information. Like, I don't like, can I really take a look at this form before we say this is now a rule? I mean, this is this is deep. Yeah. Okay. And then absolutely. And then the other thing I think about it is going to be our responsibility to help individuals find safe, understandable alternatives, right? Like, because I think the biggest thing for the veterinary industry is is not only going to be like, I don't know my role here. I don't know my liability here. I don't I don't know what this form is even all about. Right. The majority of people are not going to see it before it comes to them. It, is my client relationship going to be affected? I think it's really going to be important to get in front of this idea um, as a clinic, have a plan, have an SOP around what you will and won't do. Talk to your lawyers, right. um, talk to your insurance. Right. Um, and I can see the phones right at PLIT going right. off right now. Um, you know, but get them on the phone and find out what your, um, you know, your implications are. Have a plan. Get in front of it so that it's not something you're trying to catch up on behind. And then I think the most important thing is to have you know other like safe solutions for clients because they're going to be coming to them for us as well. Right. I, and again, I was at the AVMA meeting uh, this past summer on this exact issue. And the 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 topic of a form, a health certificate, if you will, form came up repeatedly. And honestly, I walked out, out of those meetings saying, oh, OK, AVMA is sort of against this. So I don't think this is moving forward. And yet 
That's the fourth provision. So I think I think we need to watch this one very, very closely. Uh, some other things that you might find interesting, viewfinders, uh, you have to, the airlines can require people that have a service dog. And again, we just might as well say service dog because that's it. No more miniature uh, horses or, or cats will be designated as service animals, according to this. Uh, but they can require passengers with a disability who are traveling with a service animal to check in one hour prior to travel time. Uh, they then go on to say, require airlines to promptly check in passengers with service animals who are subjected to advanced check-in process. Good luck with that. I've waited in lines for hours before, so let's hope that they get better service uh, than I have gotten in the past. Um, they will allow airlines to limit the number of service animals traveling with a single passenger with a disability to two service animals. Becky, I wasn't aware you could take multiple service animals, but apparently that has been a thing. And now they're saying... You can only have two. That just says you have not attended my lecture on service <laughs> animals. Yeah. You know, it's a it's a definite myth out there that people would not need more than one service animal because why would you? Well, depending on how the dogs are trained, for a lot of individuals, they train their own dog because the wait time for a service dog, the amount of time it takes to get one, and, um, you know, the cost can be so prohibitive for so many individuals that, that self-training is a thing for a lot of people. And so you may train one dog to mitigate uh, one task and another to, a, to mitigate another. And that could be, for example, in a diabetic, you might teach one right. dog highs ah. and one dog's lows. Ah. Um, for someone who has food allergies, you might teach one cashews, one peanuts. Um, so there would actually be a lot of reasons to have several service dogs or more than one. It's actually even been used in people who have multiple personality type disorders. Um, because Whoa, there mind are is blown. My mind is blown. Yeah, because there are times wow. where actually dogs will not bond with one of the personalities and it won't respond to and um, provide services for one or more of the personalities. And so there are actually times that several dogs will respond to several different personalities. Not a lot of documented cases of that, but not unheard of. Wow. Viewfinder family, Becky Monster RVT dropping some serious <laughs> knowledge on me. Wow. I just... I, I love it. I can't help it because, you know, the thing about it is, is it's that human-animal bond, right? Like the, yep. like when you start to learn what these dogs can and are able of do doing, no wonder people are wanting to find a way to right. get a service dog right. in their life. They make things better. Yep. Uh, uh, again, just going down the list, and uh, we'll have links, viewfinders, so you can check this out on your own, but allow airlines to require service animal, as we mentioned before, to fit within its handler's foot space. I think that's going to be a big one. Continue to allow airlines to require that service animals be harnessed, leashed, tethered, or otherwise under the control of its handler. And Becky, I have to tell you a funny quote from the, uh, um, um, what is it called? The but the Association of Flight Attendants, here is the quote, the days of Noah's Ark in the air are hopefully coming to an end. I just love that quote. Had to oh, share it with you. <laughs> so obviously the uh, airline attendants are not uh, thrilled with the dogs and cats running oh, loose right. on the plane. <laughs> and I've seen that, you know, I actually was on a flight not too long ago, Becky, and I'm sure you've seen this too, where, you know, I'm reading my book and Ta, 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 ta. You know, I've got the the quadruped, uh, you know, spidey sense, and here comes the little dog marching down the aisle. <laughs> I have actually seen them come down the jet bridge. Wow. And that's actually super dangerous, right? Yeah. Because now you have an individual whose dog is in a space that they're not allowed to go and get them. Uh, and and I right. have seen I've seen every horrific thing you can imagine, I think, at this point when it comes to animals and airports and um, the, the misuse and use 
appropriate of all kinds of different. <laughs> yep. And just finishing out the list, uh, continue to allow airlines to refuse transportation to service animals that exhibit aggressive behavior and that pose a threat to the health or safety of others. Yep, got that one. And continue to prohibit airlines from refusing to transport a service animal solely based on the basis of breed. Hooray. And again, you know, that goes back to some of those earlier recommendations from last year that you can't just say no pit bulls on a plane. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's it's just such a big, messy, ugly situation that got out of control and moved so quickly. And um it's something that needed really to, you know, to be um, gotten a hold of. It's something that people are going to need to be held accountable for. And, you know, it's unfortunate because of the misuse. It's going to be harder for individuals who have legit dogs and need them. But most of those individuals will be willing to comply with these regulations and will probably be in support of them because illegitimate service animals and emotional support animals that are not, you know, safe in that situation um, in a way that they know how to behave appropriately are actually really a risk for working service dogs. Yeah. One other thing, you know, I was, I was kind of looking at the list of, of organizations and individuals that have come out in support, made public statements and so forth. Uh, interesting uh, statement from the president of the AS. And Allergy Foundation of America, and you know, basically saying that this might help cure curb. I'm sorry, some of the quote abuses by people taking animals on airplanes and saying they were there for emotional support. Once again, as Becky has said multiple times on this podcast, people just taking advantage of the of the loopholes. Uh, we also said you have to take into account passengers with asthma and allergies. There is a growing number of animals on airplanes, which he thinks increases risk. So uh, again. Viewfinders, we really want to hear where you stand on this. This is just being proposed. There's a very good chance that all of those things that we have discussed today are going to be passed in totality. Um, there is a 60-day comment period open now. Again, I will leave the links in the show notes. So if you want to get involved with that discussion, I encourage you to do so. I think if you're a veterinary professional who's concerned like I am, and I'm sure Becky is as well, we really should demand some clarification on these forms developed by DOT attesting to a service dog's uh, good behavior, good health, and if they can relieve themselves. Uh, that one, to me, I really want to get involved. So uh, AVMA, if you're listening, and I know you are, <laughs> that's something that I hope you're also going to be commenting on, and we can rally some support around that. Uh, one final thing that, that Becky has emphasized, and I just want to clarify once again, this doesn't limit you from taking your iguana on a plane. And this you can take a peacock, you know, you can take whatever you want if the airline allows you to, right? So now this is a transaction between you and Delta or American or United. Uh, what this discussion was about today is the U.S. Department of Transportation, their rules on traveling by air with service animals. This is something that these rules, you can't, uh, you can't bend them. You can't break them. If you're an airline and, and you somehow violate a person's rights to that we've discussed today, then you are going to be fined. You know, you can be in big trouble with the federal government. So Becky, again, you can still take your six chickens on the plane as long as Delta says no problem. Yeah. And, you know, again, there are a lot of safe alternatives to flying your pets. There are a lot of um, transportation companies out there that do a wonderful job. I know several veterinary technicians that own or work within, um, you know, individual contracting or company based transports. Um, there are definitely ways to get pets safely from one place to another. 
Um, I know cargo is stressful and I know that there are times that you can't, it's not even an option, but, you know, help your clients find reputable other alternatives and options. And, and that's what we can, I think, really do to help mitigate and support people the best so that they can, you know, continue that human animal bond and having their pet or their emotional support animal with them if they need them. Viewfinders, there is nothing more awesome in this world, to me at least, than traveling with my pets. I love it. I love getting someplace new to me and exploring and just experiencing new things with my dogs in particular and a cat a couple of times. But, but regardless, you know, what do you think about this? You know, do you think this will dramatically change the way we travel by air with our dogs and other animals? Or do you think that this will actually help improve the experience and actually, you know, protect the people's rights who have a legitimate need of a service animal you know we really want to hear from you that's right you can find us on facebook at veterinary viewfinder on instagram at veterinary viewfinder and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts yeah and definitely hit us on the instagram because that seems to be where everybody's playing these days all the cool kids are there uh we're not on tiktok yet but if you think that becky doing some renegade dancing would be we something don't want to know want to watch <laughs> let <laughs> me not. know personally and i will see if i can't make that happen sometime <laughs> but yeah. viewfinders we really appreciate your loyalty uh, we love bringing these types of breaking stories to you. We know that this is contentious and and particularly thorny from a legal perspective, you know, topic, but, uh, you know, golly molly, uh, you know, this thing, if it, if it comes to fruition that we have to fill out forms attesting to behavior and health and relief. Uh, wow, Becky, that's really going to be important. So if you like topics like this, let us know, hit us up on the Insta, the Facebook, the Twitter, the wherever you are, we want to be there. And until next time, keep flying the friendly skies, at least with your dog. Bye. Bye.